on his hand, and the king leaned and said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he, that is Elisha, said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. This is the word of God. We thank the Lord for giving us his word, for not leaving us in the dark, for giving us his light. May he continue to add his blessing to the proclamation thereof. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this morning, as we considered a portion of 2 Kings chapter 6, we saw banding marauders from Syria engaging in border clashes with the Israelites. And we could hear, we could see with the eyes of faith how the soldiers who were sent to capture Elisha were instead captured by the word of the Lord. That word of grace, which the Lord had pronounced upon Israel for Christ's sake. That word had conquered Israel's enemies and put them to shame. Now some time has passed between verse 23, where we left off, and verse 24, where we began again this afternoon. It may even have happened several years later for the books of the kings to not relate all things in chronological order. Apparently, the Lord's people did not respond to his mercy in their lives, and they still needed to come to repentance and faith. They were still living in a way that pleased themselves, and so again, the Lord comes to them knocking on the door of their hearts, telling them to live by the word and not a word of their own making, but his word. The army of Syria is used once again to bring the people to their senses. This time, Ben-Hadad, Syria's king, invades Israel with a large army to fight what we might call a decisive battle. And he marches forward without much resistance, and the capital city of Samaria is put to the siege. Boys and girls, you may have learned that a siege means no one can really get out of the city to protect from anyone getting into the city. Now you can imagine that after a time, the stockpiles of the city would begin to dwindle. And because there was a famine in the land, the supplies are dwindling faster than you would want. You can imagine the growing apprehension, the worry, and even a sense of panic. And the situation becomes a a living death sentence. And hope begins to fade all away. And yet if the people had lived by the word of the Lord, there would be hope. Disobedience produces self-constructed hardship. Disobedience produces self-constructed hardship. Things did not need to be so desperate. 
And from history, we know that people will do terrible things if they get hungry enough. Most of us have been so greatly blessed of the Lord that we do not know what hunger is. Or we may have said, boy, I'm hungry. But who among us has known that intense pain of hunger? Perhaps several in our midst have experienced that in the world war gone by. And those who have such an experience can tell you how terrible it is to go hungry. And they will tell you it is a living death. And it came to the point in this situation where the people were were eating the heads of donkeys, probably one of the most undesirable parts of an animal, And from elsewhere in Scripture, we know the donkey to be an unclean animal. And this small amount of sustenance was selling for an astronomical amount of money on the market. The Bible tells us that the people were even buying the droppings, the manure of a dove. And according to one commentator, this manure... It replaced, it replaced salt. We, we read in the, in the chapter that as they went by, they, they would gather here and there for these materials. Salt was seen as a preservative and thus as a necessity. In any event, who amongst us can imagine eating animal dung? But so it was. All because the people would not believe that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And as we read on in uh, the account given to us in Holy Scripture, we read that one day the king was walking on the wall, perhaps inspecting the defense works and the troops. Surely, inwardly, he was torn. Elisha was in the city. He had always preached, Elisha, that God would be merciful if the king and his people would humble themselves. And the king came to a measure of humility, so he thought. He put some sackcloth on, but he put the sackcloth underneath his usual clothing. And so we might ask, was the king really humbling himself? Sackcloth was intended to be worn in the symbolic way to demonstrate true repentance. But as it becomes clear in our scripture lesson, he was not wearing the penitential garment openly to call the whole nation to repent. He dared not to publicly humble himself. And so outwardly, he he kept the appearance of his royal dignity. Was he ashamed of humility to humble himself before the Lord? Was he 
inwardly broken before God? No, in his pride he still thought that he in his own way could solve the problems of the nation. He was trusting in his own talents and his own merits and his own wisdom rather than in the Lord's grace. And that's why he was so angry against Elisha and what Elisha represented, the word of the Lord. And we see this come out in his conversation with the woman who was at the city wall. She had cried out to the king for help. And the king basically responds, help yourself. I can't produce food from nothing, can I? Don't ask me to do the impossible. He had no confidence in, in praying. He had no confidence in what the Lord could yet do for them. He pauses and he softens to some degree by agreeing to listen to this woman's story. And it pours out. And it's so horrible, so tragic. We don't even want to think too much about it. What a terrible, terrible agreement. Dreadful contract that this woman had made with the other woman. How could she? Her own little baby. Think of the little ones in the congregation. Flesh of her flesh, bone of her bone. But she did. She killed her own child. And they ate him. That's how far things went. It was only a matter of time, and, and things would be, humanly speaking, finished for the city. Things got so bad that people began to eat people. Cannibalism. A society that does not live by the word of the Lord will do terrible things. And we see that in the history pages. We see that work its way out in our own society today. Well, we, we think we might be a little more sophisticated. We don't eat children, do we? But there are those who killed them. Babies offered on the altar of convenience through the murder of abortion. And we need not think that our society is much better than the one described in our scripture lesson this afternoon. While we give thanks for the overturning of Wade versus Roe, we ought not fool ourselves into thinking that the, the militant march, uh, the militant hostility towards God and his creational ordinances, we ought not think, well, now we've come to a, a spot of resting not at all, not at all. We cannot quite compare our nation to the Old Testament community, covenant community, but there is overlap. Samaria was being struck by the curse which the Lord had already spoken through Moses. We read in the book of Leviticus chapter 26 that it will come to this point. The Lord says, if you will not hearken to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. Don't always want to think of the fury of the Lord, do we? 
And I will chastise you myself sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And now the curse of the covenant has struck. And when the king hears all of this, then and only then did the king tear his clothes in horror. It is then that the people see the sackcloth that he had been wearing. But what does he do? He shifts the blame. It's a popular sin to this day. It's not my fault. Somebody else's fault. He doesn't accept responsibility, but he points the finger. And who does he point the finger at? He points it at the word bearer, the man of God, the prophet Elisha. It's easy to point the finger. Anybody but me. Even in the face of the dreadful fulfillment of the word of the Lord, the king blamed the Lord. Blamed his prophet. And he swore an oath that he would have Elisha killed that same day. Oh, what a rash, rash statement. He wanted to break completely with the word of the Lord. Elisha was considered responsible for the horrors of the siege. Perhaps he had heard how in the days past Elisha was able to, to multiply bread. We find that earlier on in his ministry. Why then, why then did he not now provide food in a miraculous way? Well, the life of Elisha, of course, is in the Lord's hand, not in the king's. And while a messenger, perhaps with a garrison of soldiers, is set, sent to get Elisha, the king decides that he too will accompany them. All of this has been revealed to Elisha by the Lord. And the king complains, he grumbles that all this trouble has come from the Lord. Why wait for the Lord any longer? What good will it do? God's word, according to the king, is nothing but emptiness, meaningless, a bunch of lies. And then something amazing and unexpected happened. Strong is Elisha's reply. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. It's a, it's a double introduction. Hear the word. Thus says the Lord. And it's an introduction intending to make it perfectly clear that God has a message for this king. Even though neither the king nor the people really humbled themselves before the Lord or cried out for mercy, there may have been individuals who did, but as a nation, no. The Lord prophesied through Elisha that there would be amazing, amazing, wondrous, the hand of providence, a gracious hand for his people. And at the gate of Samaria the next day, the very next day, a measure of flour would be sold for a shackle and two measures of barley for a shackle. Now, how could the Lord promise such a deliverance while his people had yet to repent? What must we say, congregation? It is all, all of his mercy, 
The Lord shows his people his grace, grace that they did not even ask for in order to bring them to repentance. And the Lord did so only because he looked upon his people in Christ and loved them in Christ. Even in those days, there were still people in Israel who earnestly inquired after the Lord. Isn't it that way? Also in our lives, congregation, how often do we not even see in our lives that God gives grace so that we might be humbled by that grace, given grace in order that we may be brought into a further measure of grace. Now the captain, the right-hand man of the king, The words of Elisha were simply too much. He could not believe it. He expressed his unbelief, and he went so far as to mock, mock the word-bearer. He mocked the prophecy, the preaching of Elisha. Why, even if the Lord should make windows in heaven and open those windows and let the grain pour forth. Ah, it's impossible. It's not going to happen. Now, when we think of windows, we we think of what we might see. We think of light. The captain did not see with the eyes of faith. There was darkness in his heart. In another translation, we read that the phrase, the floodgates of heaven... We think of the opening of a canal or a dike and how, how the water then all of a sudden just streams out. Well, this is, is the promise now given concerning food. But the captain did not believe that even if the floodgates would be opened, anything would pour out of them. And Elisha goes on to speak the word of the Lord. His sermon isn't quite yet done, is it? He says to the captain, you will see it. But that is as far as it will go. You will see, but you will not taste. His disbelieving rebellion had consequences, as disbelieving rebellion always will. When one persists stubbornly in unbelief, God will deal one way or another with a hardened heart. The scene shifts. There are four hungry lepers, the Bible tells us. And lepers, you remember, are cast-offs, excluded from the rest of society, dependent upon relatives or friends and bringing them food. Remember that these, these lepers are also a picture when we are apart, apart from Christ sitting among the dead, having no hope without God in the world. And only the blood of Christ can cleanse us from our leprosy. Now, these lepers reason in this way. If we stay where we are, we're going to die. If we go into the city, they were gathered at the outskirts, we'll die. And if we go to the Syrians, they may kill us, but at least we'll have a chance of surviving. We've got nothing to lose. And so they go. And when they reach the edge of the camp of the Syrians, there's not a soul there. What? How is that possible? 
Well, the scriptures record that the Lord had made the Syrians hear the sound of a great army approaching. One Bible teacher puts it this way. In the terror, uh, the Syrians flee helter skelter. They are like fools fleeing from something that does not exist. And it was the Lord who had filled them with terror. These four lepers were amazed that these tents were deserted and they did not know yet the reason for all of this was the miracle of God's grace in his deliverance of the city. The Syrians had left all their supplies behind. They, they were there for the long haul. For an army would take much along. The lepers feasted on the food they found in the camp. We might say, driven by greed, they hid some of the treasures in the earth. They lined their own pockets first. If grace does not win the victory over us, we too live for ourselves. Then we have little time or concern for the Lord's people or the Lord's cause. But thankfully, these lepers have a conscience. They soon begin to feel guilty. They, they come to their senses, their consciousness speaking, yet for the wrong reasons. They were worried about the punishment rather than love of their own people. Even these poor sufferers, in them we do not find living faith for which God's cause and his people are more precious than anything else. There is good news that others must hear. And let us take a moment to draw the connection to us. In the moment that we experience now, we may enjoy the word of God together. Today is a day of glad tidings, and we are thankful that week by week we may be gathered to hear the word of the Lord, to offer our sacrifices of praise. But it is a word that we may not keep to ourselves. And with the talents that we have received from the Lord, that is to say, the obligations, the responsibilities, uh, the opportunities that God has given us, we are to use our gifts in one form or another as an expression of the good news, as a testimony of what the Lord has done for us and and the Lord knows how much our world needs it, and you know it too. Let us not be afraid to invite those who have come into our circle to the worship service where God has placed us. You might say, well, they, they wouldn't understand. It's, it's, it might be a little awkward for them. Don't give up on what the Lord might do through the work of the Holy Spirit. There's still room in the church here, I see. When the lepers have come to the city, there's disbelief. In a way, we can understand that. The gates are locked, not only because it is night, but it's a time of war. The guards are not going to let these lepers in. They do not trust them. They think it is a trick the king's advisors do not have a gleam of hope or a trace of faith. They reason, well, we may spare a few men and horses, 
They're going to probably die anyway. But when they return many hours later, they find out that what the lepers had said was true. The enemy had gone. It was a real miracle. The good news had spread like wildfire. And then in droves, the people of the city go uh, to the enemy camp to eat whatever they can find and then also to plunder. This is a day they will never forget. But there is one who does not live the day out. The captain, the right-hand man of the king who had been sent to the city gate to keep things under control. And in your mind's eye, you can imagine the chaos. Soon even a market is set up. Compared with the previous day, the prices come crashing downward, plummeting. Inflation is over. And the captain, trampled underfoot, he dies by the word of the Lord. Indeed, he he saw it with his own eyes, but he ate not of it, according to the word of the Lord. And that's the way it is, congregation, according to the word of the Lord. Once again, we, we see the dominant theme clearly in the ministry of the prophet Elisha that the Lord's word will go forth, directing affairs, all affairs of life, as it must be in our lives. And it is in the covenant way that the Lord speaks, the covenant of blessing, but also There are covenantal curses, the life of the covenant, which we too may be a part of to this very day. And we too must heed the word of God. We're not simply putting in time. No. We heed the word of the covenant. It's more than just reading the Bible in our homes, as important as that is. It means that we go further. We ask, now, Lord... What are we to do about the ordering of our lives, the ordering of our families, the ordering of our marriages? What does God say about how children are to be raised as we entrust them to the Lord's mercies? What does God say about what we say about other people? And we could multiply the questions. How thankful we must be that God in his mercy grants mercy in the covenant way. The means of grace are indeed clear. The prophet has spoken and the word has come to pass. Elisha has preached and the Lord God has given preaching as the chief means of grace. Elisha preaches and something happens. And again, we together may hear this afternoon, obey God's word. Obey my covenant. It is not for nothing that before the Lord delivered the city from hunger and punished the captain for his unbelief, he first made the prophet foretell these coming events. 
And time and time again we see in, in the ministry of God's servants that the word of the Lord makes things happen. The Lord works through his word and he demands to be believed and honored as the God who makes his word come true. He insists that he be trusted. He requires of us that we we offer ourselves willingly under the authority of God's word. Pray again for this, this one who was cut off this morning that he may come like the prodigal son to his senses and place himself under the authority of God's word, not as, as, as a burden, but as a blessing. God is not just our authority in, in a general way, but clearly in every way. And our consciences, they must be biblically informed. And our consciences must be held captive by the word of the Lord. Every day, each day, we may see, as it were, through the windows of heaven into heaven itself. We have his word to help us see. Each day, we may experience the floodgates open with blessing upon blessing. And with the prophet Jeremiah... We may confess morning by morning new mercies we see. And then to know the greatest mercy of all, that the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, came through that window of heaven into earth to be amongst us, to deliver us, to grant us the food of life and life eternal. To know that the Lord has has opened a way for us to escape the hunger of everlasting separation. And to bring us to the bounty table, the banqueting table of, of the Lord in the day to come. The Lord will one day judge those who have rejected the word of deliverance and unbelief. Most Canadians just simply shrug their shoulders. But it could also be true that most Canadians simply do not know the ABCs of the gospel that speaks of grace, but also of judgments. The Lord showed through the captain who had mocked Elisha's prophecy the fruit of unbelief. And likewise, God will one day judge all those who have turned their back on his word of grace. It is, it is no little thing that the majority of our fellow citizens in Canada go through life in whatever way they please. In a surprising way, God provided relief to those in Samaria. And this deliverance too occurred because the Christ would one day bring complete redemption there. There's a picture here of the redemption to come. Complete the deliverance, but it must be accepted in faith. And you and I in the week to come must live in this faith. Not just any faith, 
but a faith that pleases the Lord, not a shallow faith, a surface faith, but a faith that, that goes deep by the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting, trusting in the merits of Christ, living in the confidence of God's authority in our lives. Well, that's a good place to be. A faith that joyfully celebrates the work of salvation from day to day. That may God so grant that you and I, young and old alike, may truly grow in this faith. Let us pray for it. Amen. We do pray, Father, that the faith that is given as a gift of grace would live strongly in our lives, in our life together as the congregation, in our lives at home, in our daily walk before the Lord. Lord, we pray, apply also this portion of thy holy word to our lives. Bind us to thy word. Bind our conscience. Help us to the eyes of faith that see the windows of heaven open, the floodgates that pour out the blessings that come from above. Father in heaven, help us not to see and receive our scripture lesson merely as, a, as an Old Testament account of interest, but one that, that speaks into the very fiber of our beings. Lord, help us along our way. Keep us in the comfort strong. Keep us, Lord, as a people who are valiant for the truth. Lord, grant that others too may, from our side, hear the good news and be brought under the preaching of the word and brought by thy grace into saving faith. Father, we pray brothers and sisters around the world who are hearing the gospel for the first time this day. We ask, Lord, prepare their hearts to receive the truth, the good news, and grant, Lord, that a rich harvest may be received. Lord, add to the number of the elect and bring the day closer when the day of the Christ shall come. As we pray, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.